You're listening to the Elevate Your Brand podcast, where we talk to some of the smartest entrepreneurs and fastest growing brands on the market today. I'm your host, Laurel Mintz, a reformed corporate M&A attorney who founded award-winning LA-based marketing agency, Elevate My Brand. We've elevated some of the world's biggest brands from Facebook, Paw Patrol, and Verizon to innovative startups you haven't even heard of yet. Are you ready to elevate your brand? Keep listening. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Elevate Your Brand. I, of course, am your host, Laurel Mintz, and I'm joined today by Amy Wenslow, who is the Chief Product Strategist at Products Products to Profits. Correct? I get that right? Products to Profits. I love that. Yes, Laurel, that is right. We, and that's exactly we, what you do. <laughs> <laughs> we deal with consumer products primarily all day, every day. And how do you actually launch, scale, grow a business, and all those million details that are involved in doing all of that? And it is such a process. I think people get really excited about starting up brands. And a lot of those listening in today are entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs. And so I thought it was really important that we brought you into this conversation to kind of level set and talk us through what that process and timeline really should look like from ideation to execution. So uh, I think those listening in know I don't often have service-based businesses on the podcast because we, we want to kind of learn other people's journey, but this particular conversation is absolutely critical. You cannot have a successful business unless you understand how to be profitable, how to how to develop a product and launch it into the market, and what all of that looks like from a tactical standpoint. So um, Amy, would you just walk us through like what does that lifespan look like? How do you start? You know, what does your process look like with your clients? Laurel, I have a long history in product. From the time I was about six years old, digging clay out of a creek bed in upstate New York and making things, mm-hmm. all the way to a lot more sophisticated strategies. You know, we worked on lines that did $300 million on QVC in three years. And we have Inc. 5000 list um, people that went from kitchen table to the top 20 of that list in four years. So it really has been a great ride. Your question about how long does it take from the idea to actually up and selling is one timeline. And then there's the up and selling and the business that you envision as another timeline, right? There's kind of two parts. So the ideation and the getting it ready to sell depends on the complexity of the product. Mm -hmm. It depends on what your strategy is going to be for getting it moving. And as you know, the brand is very important. Um, The look of it, the feel of it, the kind of brand DNA um, matters a lot. And then when you're looking at how do you get it from, okay, now we've made some early sales to we actually have a company that is doing things, then that's really where a lot of growth strategies come into play. Ideally, for the early part, you know, the idea to sales section, if you're not in a really high-tech product that takes a lot of heavy lifting, like tech development and programming. Engineering, all that. Mm -hmm. Right. Like if you were in an an internet of things or something like a Fitbit is 
you know, an example of something that's got a long cycle. Um, you should be able to pull that off in about six to nine months. Mm-hmm. If it's an idea that you have in your head, you're getting it prototyped and you're, and then you're going to build it for production. Um, if you're doing private label, meaning a manufacturer has a thing and you're going to put your brand on it, that can be as fast as a couple of weeks. It can right. be lightning speed. Um, so it really depends. Well, let's say that I'm building a product from the ground up and it's, let's say something like, um, oh, let's just say a new milk type of milk product, since I know that you're in that category. <laughs> and that's one of the success brands that you were talking about. I believe it's uh, Good Pods. Is that the one? Nut Pods. Yeah. Nut Pods. Nut Pods. Yes. Want to shout out to them because they just are crushing it right now. No pun intended. Much thanks to your work with them. Um, so let's say you're creating a direct-to-consumer uh, consumable in the food and beverage space. Talk us through the process. Food and beverage, it's really important to get repeat customers. So it's really mm-hmm. important right now that you have community around your brand, that you have avid users because um, like I was just talking with a product earlier today where they're in the grocery space, but it's going to be a slower purchase cycle, right? So you want to make sure that you're creating a very um, cohesive brand that, it, that people really enjoy it and that you get them talking about it. Um, so the cycle from early stage product idea to you've got your recipe set up, you're in production on it. Again, you're probably in like a six to nine month time frame for that. And then the pulling the levers, right? You know, to get it to the point where your sales are really picking up is easily another six months. And you're making some sales, but to get it to a rhythm takes time. Yeah, I always say like 12 to 18 months on average to really get to a place where you can start seeing that real traction. Not necessarily profitability, although we hope, right? But traction at the very least. Exactly. So, you know, you really are looking at that 12-month minimum, like you're saying, Um, usually when we're working with clients in their first strategy intensive that we do, it's we're looking at the timeline for 12 to 18 months. What do you want to have happen in 12 to 18 months? And then we're... And is it realistic, right? So important to to level set because that's the other big conversation. Why do people not understand how long it actually takes to ideate, fabricate, execute on these ideas? It's just, it blows my mind every time someone comes to me with a new idea and they're like, yeah, we want to get this in market in four months. I'm like, and I want a magical pony that spits money. (laughs) Like, what are you, what are you talking about? (laughs) You know, it's really kind of interesting because there is a moment of doing the reality check. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think it comes from this kind of instant culture that we have, right, where we want totally we think that it's all going to just be magical and come to fruition really quickly. And, you know, as a business owner myself, I know that's not the case. And we've been in this a long time and we're still building and we're Mm -hmm. constantly learning, too. That's the other thing I think people forget is that there's continuous change you have to account for. Especially with like the food and beverage example, like we've had clients in that space who have lost their co-packer or they've outgrown their co-packer and then they have to find a whole new facility and that all those things take time. I I think you've probably seen that entrepreneurial um, graphic where it's like, uh, it's like a hill and you're going up the entire time, but sometimes you slide all the way back to start and you have to start from scratch again. And that's 
truly the entrepreneurial journey, especially as it relates to building a product. Absolutely. I heard a great thing from Reed Hoffman today. He's one of the co-founders of LinkedIn. He was involved with PayPal in their early stage, you know, fabulous, fabulous background. And Reed Hoffman said this, he goes, entrepreneurship is like running through fog at full speed. <laughs> and it was so perfect because sometimes that is what it is. And having the right people around you and the right information clears some of it, but there's still always a level of uncertainty that you can't control. Totally. Totally. I think that's what makes it exciting. That's oftentimes what puts people off to being an entrepreneur and why they want the the paycheck, the nine to five. Um, but I think it's an exciting path forward. Um, what are you seeing in terms of entrepreneurial growth since the pandemic? Are you seeing that there are more brands coming to you to launch? Um, are they are there less? Like what what is the um, trajectory and the cadence look like since the pandemic? Well, during the pandemic in the year 2020, more new business filings happened than ever. And majority of them were from women who are starting yes. businesses, which I found I really exciting. Well, I think that the, the statistic on that one was that more women were dropping out of the general workforce because they had to take care of their kids. And then they were like, well, shit, I've got to still make money. I've got to figure out a path forward. I'm going to figure out my own business model. And I think that's exactly what you're speaking to. Right. And the other point of data, Laurel, is that small businesses, meaning, you know, traditional definition of under like $75 million a year in sales, that's what they consider, quote, a small business launched products at a rate of three to one of the really large companies during mm -hmm. the pandemic. So they, and they were launching more products than they had in 2019. I think there was a certain amount of necessity in there, but there was also a, a spirit of, let me try it, right? right. Let's, let's see. Can't get anywhere in this year's been, so let's just do it. <laughs> right, and I know businesses that their business grew a thousand percent in wow. the course of 2020. And they weren't taking advantage of things. It wasn't oh, opportunistic. Yeah, I think some of the work that you do is very nuanced. And I think we were talking about this um, in our last call, how you make these little small changes that have major impact for the brand. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want you to share with us some of your success stories. So stay tuned. Hi guys, me again. I wanted to take a quick break to tell you more about our award-winning marketing agency, Elevate My Brand. We're a full-service digital and experiential agency, meaning we do it all. From event management to content creation, branding, web design, and social media. We're a small but scrappy team of both data nerds and quirky creatives, and we're here to make you look good. After this episode, let's chat about how we can elevate your brand and take you to the next level. Thanks for sticking with us. I am chatting with my friend, Amy Wenslow, who is the chief product strategist from of products to profits. Before the break, we we're talking about how many small businesses have really blossomed from the pandemic uh, or in spite of, I should say, the pandemic. And then I was talking a little bit about how in our last call, you were telling me about how you had, I think this was the case today, that there was a company that hadn't changed their pricing model for like a decade or something. And you went in and you did uh, a pricing model with them or a cost benefit, a cost analysis, and you changed their price by like a dollar or two. Maybe it was something that seemed so nominal and it changed their entire business around. I know you have more stories like that. Can you share some of your successes? 
Absolutely. We have one client that they were going to lose the Lowe's Home Improvement account, which they were doing a million dollars a year in that account. So I don't know about you, Laurel, but you notice it when a million dollars of revenue goes away, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> so they they were working with us and it, we uncovered several problems. So it wasn't just that the buyer was unhappy. The return rate was also too high. The, the packaging had gotten really dated and they really were having a hard time even with customer service. They were kind of surprised when we were talking. They said, yeah, I bet your customer service department has about four Word documents or Google Docs that you send around to people trying to help them understand what to do. And they just looked at me and they said, how do you know that? I said, because it would be the outcome of trying to manage the problem that has been created here. And in about 15 minutes, um, the CFO opened his spreadsheet and he said, okay, I can't figure out why we're barely breaking even every time we sell the product. Mm-hmm. And 15, 20 minutes later, I uncovered they, their costs were off by six and a half percent. So the previous year when they negotiated, they had negotiated away all their profit margins. And this mm-hmm. was a new client of ours. And we literally had seven weeks from that day of the conversation to when they fully expected the buyer was telling them that they would no longer be selling to Lowe's. And so we had seven weeks to, to fix this. And so we, we went into hyper gear and not only did we end up fixing that problem, we fixed a couple of other things that were related to it. The buyer was so happy. They actually invited them to do the graphics for the annual meeting and several other pieces. And they got a $15 per unit price increase instead of getting kicked out. So that account went from a million dollars a year to $2 million a year in the space of one year. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, it really just speaks to, you know, making these nuanced changes really makes a huge difference for a brand. Um, So I want to also make sure that we stop and talk about... um, the IP protection behind the the companies that you work with as well and how important and valuable that is. Because I think that there are so many steps along the way that, again, startup or emerging brands or growth-focused brands really forget to do um, or they don't see the value in that. So I know that you've, you, uh, you were talking about business filings. I want to make sure that that's a part of the conversation as well to make sure that IP protection is or IP is protected, um, especially when you come up with a new product that is completely different to the market. You want to make sure that you're protecting it. And I know that you give that advice to your, to, to your uh, clients as well. Correct. Well, we're not attorneys. We do have a network of attorneys that we work with. And I've been very fortunate to be a speaker at some of the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office conferences about how you make money from your stuff, right? Not the lawyer part, the how you make money part. And one of the things that really stands out is trademarking. And I think a lot of people overlook trademark and copyright. They Mm -hmm. think that that on a brand new idea, they have to have a patent and that's not true. If you're private labeling something, it really is mostly about your trademark and your copyright um, because you're not going to be able to apply for a patent. You're not going to meet the criteria. If you apply for a patent, there's different kinds of patents even, and most people don't understand that. And I think that there's confusion around patents and around IP. IP is really important, especially if you're going to sell your brand later. 
like you're going to sell your whole business. So when we're working with clients, we actually are asking about, well, what do you want your life to look like because you did this project, right? Interesting. That's a much more holistic approach. Right. We want to know that we're lining up the right tools from the toolbox that are most likely to give that result. Yeah. That makes sense. So what other things should an entrepreneur know when they're getting into this world? I know you've got a lot of tips and tricks up your sleeve. Um, we'd love for you to share a few of those with the with our audience. Absolutely. So in this current environment, there's a lot of talk about direct-to-consumer selling. It's mm-hmm. very important. It's anything where you have, um, the other phrase for it would be called digitally native, Digitally native and direct to consumer are different. So direct to consumer is any mechanism where you're selling directly to the person who's going to use your product, right? Digitally native means that you started primarily on the internet, okay? That that's where your feet are planted and then you grow from there. Um, direct to consumer can look a lot of different ways. We advise our clients to do a blend of strategies. Mm -hmm. If you are selling just through Facebook, for example, um, you don't own that list. You don't don't have that as your company's um, controlled asset, right? I always say database is everything. Like that, if you can grow one thing, that's what you want to grow because then you can remarket to that audience over time. And that's to your point very early on in this conversation. It's all about the repeat business. Precisely. And and during the pandemic, most people don't know that digital transformation accelerated 10 years in the course of one year. The first two months, we accelerated three to five years. So, Can you tell my mother that? Because I don't think she is along for that right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you felt like that's why, you know, you were like, what is all this change? That's what was happening, right? So yeah. it went really fast. Well, that doesn't mean that all the sales went there. In fact, the majority of sales are still happening in retail and mm. in more brick and mortar environments. So you actually should be leveraging the best of both of those worlds as much as you can. You can make profits in both of them in different percentages and they can support each other rather than taking away from each other. Right. Um, And especially if you're a new brand, you have to test different channels because what's to say that one channel is going to be better than the other. The only way to do it is to dig in and actually do a, 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 a data-driven t- a test in those channels and then come back to the table and say, this channel is great. This channel sucked for us. This is the one we want to focus our energy and effort on um, and constantly be iterating because the channels themselves are changing constantly with algorithms, et cetera. Correct. And we have one of our clients um, from last fall. She, she started with us not too long before Black Friday. Well, I asked her what she was doing for Black Friday and she said, oh, I'm all set. And I said, well, let me take a look anyway. And we got in a conversation. And Laurel, one suggestion, one change to how her product was set up on her website that literally took her about an hour to implement accounted for half of her sales for Black Friday. Wow, and, you are good. <laughs> well, then, then she went on and we actually were able to leverage that success story. And she's now... Um, waiting for her product to arrive at Home Shopping Network, 
she's gone through the media training to be on there. She also got a test order with Walgreens. And the test order has gone so well that they're now expanding her to 150 stores. And she's doing her web sales. Wow. So that's that omni-channel approach you were talking about. Exactly. I love that. Uh, We're going to take another break. We will be right back. Enjoying the episode? I certainly hope so. But we have no way to know unless you tell us. After this episode, please leave us a review on your podcast app of choice and let us know what you love and what you want to hear next. This podcast is all about you. And how else are we going to elevate your brand unless you talk to us? All right, chatting with my friend Amy Wenslow, who is the chief product strategist from Products to Profits. Um, Before the break, you were showing a couple of case studies and success stories. And then we were also talking about some of the the tips and tricks that um, entrepreneurs need to be aware of. Is there anything else you want to add to that list of do's and don'ts? Absolutely. Pay attention to the look of your product earlier than you think you might need to. In this environment where Amazon sellers are really competitive, you know, the categories that have a lot of um, products available in them, your user experience matters. When people Mm -hmm. open the package, it matters. Mm -hmm. Gone is the day where you can just throw it in a baggie and throw it in a package. The majority of your listeners, Laurel, are not eBay sellers that want to operate that way. There needs to be a little more care so that you create trust with your product. That's what we're really trying to engender, trust. Yeah, I would say even more so than trust. I mean, trust, of course, is important. But even more so, it's that user experience that you're talking about, both in an on and offline capacity. And then if your packaging is done beautifully, I can't tell you how much stuff we get sent for the podcast. And I'm super lucky for that. And half the time I look at it and it's garbage. And half the other half, I'm like, oh, my God, this is the most stunning packaging. They really, you could tell the brands that took that advice to heart and actually took the time to think through what does this experience look like when a consumer opens my product for the first time? Like there's great messaging, the product, the texture of the packaging or the product itself is really phenomenal. I mean, there are so many little nuanced details that go into building that great user experience. And like you said, there's a lot of competition in this space. So if you don't capture me with that first trial, I'm done and I'm moving on to the next brand. Right. And that's super important when you look at unboxing videos, for example, Mm -hmm. right? That excitement, because a lot of times what happens now for us with products is we order them online or we order them and we pick them up in store and then we get home and there's a time lag from when we bought it to when we receive it. So there's an opportunity when the unboxing actually happens to create a little bit of that excitement and oxytocin moment of, wow, oh, oh, you know, it's a little like you get a present, right? Mm -hmm. And you certainly don't want to be the company or the brand that somebody opens the box and they go, oh, and and they just have this letdown kind of feeling because that moment, there's actually a phrase in brain science for it. It's called recency. People remember the first part of the experience and they remember the last part of the experience, the strongest, frequency and recency. And so so that's why it's really important, that first impression piece. And the other tip that I would give here is counter to that, I would say, don't spend so long trying to get it perfect that you never launch it. 
That's a great tip too. Yeah. Progress, not perfection. Because you can always iterate through a brand and you should constantly be iterating based on customer feedback, which is another big part of the conversation that I know that you're involved with with your brands is about listening to your consumer and making smart changes and evolving the brand accordingly. But absolutely, like we have gone through and done a lot of rebrands and just branding from ground up for companies. And you can always tell when there's just a little too much control freakiness happening because they're like, what if we just change this one pixel? And while that might matter in the long run, uh, it, it usually doesn't for the launch of a first product, right? You want to get it out and get it in the hands of people and get real-time feedback so that you can make data-driven decisions about the brand, not just what you as the founder, who's frankly usually too close to it to see you know, their nose despite their face. I love that mm-hmm. tip. And, you know, we've actually had the conversation where someone goes, well, what do you like? And and I've actually said to them, it's irrelevant what I like. I say that all the time. I say opinions are like, you know what? Everyone has one and they're not all pretty. <laughs> right. And and what really matters is what does your market like? What do you, totally. what is really being called for and being called out? Because um, I, what we don't talk about as much as I would like is, that my company, Products to Profits, isn't about just like, hey, let's just make a bunch of money with products. No, that's not what we're up to as our core mission. Our mission is actually to remove the roadblocks for creative people because that changes the world. When we're all lit up and we're enlivened and living fully creatively expressed lives, then we're different people. And that's that's something that I think is really important, especially in moments where we've all, we've had challenges and there's been problems. You know, I know you and I have talked in the past little about supply chain issues and just the amount of change that everybody's had to absorb. And I think that the way forward is through creativity and mm-hmm. is through some perseverance. And there is a certain amount of entrepreneurial grit that you just have to have. And I started the company during the recession of 2008. Right? Me so. too. I don't think you landed on that. It's so funny. <laughs> We've been around a long time, girl. Yeah, and my entire career is in product development, sales, and marketing. So we live at the center of that trifecta, right? If you look mm-hmm. at three overlapping circles, that's our spot. Product development, sales, and marketing for consumer products for the U.S. market. I just think it's really important for us to keep in mind that everyone listening here is a resourceful person, that we are such, um, we live in a state of grace. We really do. I mean, there's so much good and it can be so easy to lose track of it. So I would just tell people, be bold and use your creativity and step into who you're really supposed to be in the world. Because that's really what we're talking about. I love that. That that tip is so great. Um, the other tip I would say would be order your holiday presents early because <laughs> supply chain is a mess right now. <laughs> you took it from the meta and I took it to the tactical. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll go tactical again too. Uh, supply chain will be consistently an issue for probably another six to nine months. Oof, um, that's so rough. And... It's going to be rough because what's happened is as the ships are being offloaded, it's going to create some backlogs in the logistics warehouses. And 
the trucking industry, most people don't understand that trucks headed uh, from the West Coast to the East Coast right now are being hit with shipping charges and premiums. And so there's things to navigate. And you don't have to do it alone, right? There's there's people to ask. Uh, I would say lean into your communities and definitely do order your Christmas presents early because the postal service update <laughs> changes too. So, <laughs> you know. so great. Um, the other question I have for you was: you talk a lot about about the psychology behind the user experience, the consumer experience, that oxytocin moment. The um, what were you calling it? The current. Um, where it's like what what you experienced last and first, what was it that you called that? Yep, recency, recency. and frequency. Mm-hmm. Right. So where does the psychology part come in for you? How did you learn to integrate that into your business model? You know, I am from an art school background. So mm-hmm. I did a lot with color theory. I, my original degree is jewelry design. And so mm-hmm. I've been in the actual making of stuff. And, um, so psychology really comes naturally to me. I think I, I picked up a bunch of it being, you know, in a family where I was having to read what was going on with my parents, you know, um, great upbringing, but they went through a divorce. And so I had to actually learn how to read different cues. And it was an amicable thing, nothing wrong about it. I just think that I've become a student of psychology. I've done uh, multiple leadership programs and personality assessments and have seen how they play out. And when you're looking at how does that all translate into a product, you're seeing not just the visual, but how do people respond to certain words? Um, You know, if you think about packaging for on the shelf, it needs to be understandable from a distance of about three feet Mm. and how do you break the pattern of somebody walking by it without without it being a an unpleasant experience and even with online sales one of the biggest tips I could give about the psychology is to consider the psychology of the consumer that is buying your product from continuity from what they saw when they looked at the ad to what they see when they land on the landing page to what they receive when they get the product. Those Mm -hmm. things are all moments where you can either create more connection or you can create disconnection. And to be very conscious about which you're creating and why. I love it. And I love you. You have such a unique perspective to this. It's a holistic, very um, creatively driven, but tactically applicable approach to developing products and getting them to scale the profit. And I love that about you. I'm so glad that you had time to be on the show today. Thank you so much for your insights and energy. Thank you, Laurel. It's been a real pleasure. And I love what you're doing with your podcast and all that you do. Um, you bring such energy and light to the entrepreneurial space. So thank you for that. Thank you so much. If you want to get a hold of Amy, it's productstoprofits.com. Is that the best way? That's the best way. You heard it here first. Thanks for uh, for being with us today. And for those of you who tuned in, thanks for listening as always. And stay tuned for more from Elevate Your Brand coming up next.